Despite the efforts of the Federal Reserve and other policymakers, the U.S. economy remains under considerable stress. Economic activity was weakening even before the intensification of the financial crisis this fall. Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Adam Davidson in New York. And I'm David Kestenbaum in Washington, D.C. Today is Monday, December 1st. It's around 3.30 in the afternoon. So today we're going to get to another installment in our series, What is Money? That's been our theme last week and a little bit into this week. We'll be talking about what happens when things go wrong, when central banks create money poorly and things go nuts. But first, let's get to a planet money indicator. Our indicator today, less than 1%. We just heard Ben Bernanke giving a speech today in which he said that it's entirely feasible that at its next meeting, December 15th and 16th, the Federal Reserve will lower its target interest rate, the Fed Fund's target rate, below 1%. Man, that is that is low. It's it's 1% now. We haven't seen a rate less than 1% in something like 50 years. Yes. And uh, the, the this is way below the levels in 2003 and 2004 when you know people thought it was way too low then. Now the goal is to kill any chance of deflation. They try and pump start this economy, get it growing enough to avoid the problems we've talked about a lot on this show, the, the problem of deflation. We have another indicator, December 2007. We know and we what's have, that? that what we, we don't have to, means we don't have to play around anymore and say, uh, we can actually say it, it's official. The U.S. is in a recession. It's been in a recession for almost a year now. And even though that recession started a year ago, we found out today because um, the National Bureau of Economic Research uh, which is the official body. You know, David, most people think, I think, who think about this, most people believe that a recession is two quarters of negative growth. But that That's is, what I put on the test. That's wrong? That is wrong. <sighs> um, the, a recession in the United States is when the National Bureau of Economic Research Business Cycle Dating Committee says there's a recession. That That's what pretty much all economists agree on. That's what the government agrees on. And that group met by telephone conference on Friday just after Thanksgiving. And they said, so what do you think, guys? And they said, yep, we're in a recession. We've been in one since December 2007. One other thing we want to mention here, uh, you may remember on an earlier podcast, we mentioned that the FDIC, which you usually think of as uh, insuring our savings accounts, was getting into the business of insuring gift cards. This came up as an issue because when uh, the sharper image went into bankruptcy, a lot of people were left holding gift cards. And so so I, you're saying that the FDIC, which insures banks, also insures sharper image gift cards? <laughs> it's actually a little more complicated, as, as you might guess. Um, I talked to someone at the FDIC, and I looked at their legal notice, which I have here, which is about three pages long. And what it says is that under most situations, the FDIC insurance would not extend to things like gift cards. Which they sort of makes, it doesn't work. It right. doesn't. I mean, it makes sense, right? Because usually if you go to the sharper image, you buy a gift card, they take your money and they give you a card for your mom or whatever. But there's no deposit in a bank anywhere. Basically, the sharper image is just saying when your mom comes with this card, she can get the massage chair or the robotic vacuum cleaner or whatever. So they would not be covered. Okay. But you're saying that there are cases where that gift card 
is covered like my bank account is. Yeah, you know these you know these um these cards that for instance the state of Maryland I was just reading in the Baltimore Sun today. If you file and get unemployment benefits, they actually give you a debit card which you can use to go out and get cash out of an ATM. So those kinds of things would be eligible to be covered by the FDIC because that's real money at a bank with your name on it. Okay, but but if most cases, if you have a gift card from a store and that store goes bankrupt, you're you're out of luck. Yeah, don't let them sit in the drawer for years, like like I do. Yes, including all the gift cards I've given you over the years. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, so David, you're you're uh, talking about gift cards suddenly being worth less. But imagine you take out your wallet and you've got currency there. You got bills, dollar bills, or whatever. And you find out that those bills, those that actual cash money is not worth anything. That is what is happening to people in Zimbabwe, as we might have heard. There, you've probably heard that there is hyperinflation. I don't yeah. think you are prepared to hear how bad the hyperinflation is. When I saw this number, I mean, I, I just – I literally can't – you're a physicist. <laughs> you know what huge numbers are. Inflation in Zimbabwe on – Six an, parsecs? Well, I, isn't that a measure of distance? <laughs> it is. Um, is 89.7 sextillion percent. Is that a real number? It is. Is 10 to the 21 power. So 89.7 followed by 21 zeros. That's basically the number you get when you're a, when, when a Zimbabwe dollar loses half its value every day. So today you have $10, tomorrow it's worth 5 the next so day So buy your lunch two. early. Buy your – literally, it's melting away in your pocket. These are numbers, I should say, uh, from Steve Hanke who teaches applied economics at Johns Hopkins University. Um, Alex Bloomberg and I had a chance to talk with him about how in the world does this happen? How does – what this means is if a Coke costs a dollar today, it costs $2 tomorrow. It costs $4 on Wednesday. It costs – you know, um, it's just crazy. So we asked Hanky how this type of hyperinflation affects the everyday person. As of two or three weeks, the grocery stores aren't even taking Zimbabwe dollars anymore. So the, the currency is – it's inflating so fast that it's becoming essentially useless because – if you take your money into a grocery store and, and give it to the cashier, the cashier would have to run out and scramble around and try to find some place where he could exchange that either for another commodity or uh, foreign exchange, the U.S. dollar or the, or the South African rand or some other more stable currency. And, and just the time and an effort required to move around and make that exchange either into another commodity or another currency it, it isn't worth it because the, the the zimbabwe dollars are literally melting in your pocket as you're running around trying to exchange them cuz that's the flip side of like of the inflation rate doubling what that essentially means is that you're it's losing half its value every day right yeah. so and and uh, and you can imagine to get a check cleared, forget it. I mean, <laughs> if it takes three you know, days, it takes three days or, or longer to clear a check, and and by then you, you, the check isn't worth anything. So so checks aren't used, and and even even cash is not being used in in many uh, grocery stores right now. God, wow. Um, can can you give a, a a quick thumbnail of how how this happened in Zimbabwe's 
case? Well, in Zimbabwe's case, the the, the government spends money and 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 uh, has continued to spend a lot of money, and they and they have less and less tax revenue as the economy has spiraled down, and so they they issue debt to to finance the government expenditures, and and no one will buy the debt. Right. Wait, I want to just make sure I can really picture this. So, so just like the U.S. Treasury is always issuing U.S. Treasury bonds and Treasury bills, it's one of the most liquid, highly traded, beloved assets in the world. The Zimbabwean ministry, is it the Ministry of Finance that would issue yes. it? They're saying to the world, hey, we're, we're issuing some- We have our own bonds. We have our own bonds. Don't would you, you like want to a Zimbabwe them? bond? <laughs> and, yeah. and the world is saying- uh, Thank you, no. Thank you, no, because I don't like losing half the value every 24 hours. Well, yes. And of course, this has been going on for, for some time. And as a result, the central bank is told to buy the bonds. The Central Bank of Zimbabwe. The Central Bank of Zimbabwe. The Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe buys the bonds. And and how how does it do that? Well, it prints money to do that. I see. And so that's where the printing presses get revved up, and that's why. So so there is a a definite link between fiscal policy, the budget of the government, and and monetary policy, the, the monetary policy of the Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe, but the Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe is, is all part of the same government. And is that because this is a dictatorship? Like, could this happen in the U.S.? Could the Treasury Department go nuts and say, we're just going to issue trillions of bonds every day, and Ben Bernanke, you have to buy them? We've never really come got, gotten in the zone, shall we say, on a regular basis. We had a civil war and a war of independence, and in both those cases came fairly close to hyperinflation. But in normal times, I mean, even the Second World War and the First World War, or or, or any other national emergencies we've had, we, we haven't uh, witnessed hyperinflation. And, and in very, the... very rarely have gotten even into double digit. But the problem is, if if you have a, a mountain of debt out there, and the government is running big deficits, and the de- debt pile is increasing and increasing, there's more and more pressure, of course, on the Federal Reserve to mon- buy some of that debt and, in effect, monetize it and, and increase the uh, money supply in an imprudent manner, which would which would tend to bias us towards more inflation. Mm-hmm. So, so the bigger the debt gets, you're saying, the more pressure is placed on the Fed to to buy parts of that debt, right? And, but, and why? Why is that? Now, the Fed, remember, is supposed to be an independent creature. Right. How, however, it it isn't immune from political pressures, and and the that's why any chairman of the Fed. Is is always preaching, you know, fiscal prudence and balanced budgets and so forth. Because if you do run a deficit and you do start accumulating a lot of debt, it's it, it is a potential problem for the Fed because all we need would be the right political configuration and in the presidency and the Congress to you know put a lot of pressure on the Fed to monetize some of that debt. So, so that doesn't really have to be paid back in today's dollars, but you can pay it back in 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 some kind of inflated dollar that isn't worth as much in the future. 
Right. That's, that's the whole idea. I mean, that's why the pressure gets into the system. I see. So there's an inherent tension between the politicians and the central bankers, if the central bankers are, are good. That's, that's correct. And it sounds like what you're describing is there's two dynamics. The one in Zimbabwe is they can't get anybody else to buy their debt, so they need the Fed, their, their version of the Fed to buy it. Whereas what you're talking about in the United States is there's there's doesn't seem like there's much danger of people stopping buying treasuries. It seems like they're they're selling better than they ever have basically right now. Um, but but the the pressure is that once you get this huge mountain of debt, more of your money has to go to service that debt. And so the politicians want to spend that money on something else. And so then they put the pressure on the Fed to sort of inflate the currency so they can they can keep on spending other money. Right. right. And the, uh, there are all kinds of subtle pressures. They're, uh, mm-hmm. they're, they're not going to hold hearings uh, uh, in Washington in, in which they congressmen announce that they uh, want a rip-roaring inflation so that we can wipe out the uh, real <laughs> <debt>. value <laughs> of the debt. Right. Right. That wouldn't, yeah, that, that would be a tough, that would be, that wouldn't look good on C-SPAN. No, I, I think it'd be a tough sell. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I want to let you go, but just one last question. What is it, do you have any sense what it's like to just be an ordinary Zimbabwean? I mean, I, I assume if you're if you're rich, then you're using dollars or or South U.S. dollars or South African rand. But but if you're just an ordinary Zimbabwean, what well, what do you even do? Even an ordinary uh, person in Zimbabwe is trying to get foreign exchange. So there's there's a tremendous amount of what we call currency substitution going on in the economy, and it's it's spontaneously. Un, and unofficially kind of dollarizing itself with the U.S. dollar and the South African rand being being the the most valued currency in, in the country. The, the real value adjusted for inflation of the Zimbabwe dollars that are circulating in Zimbabwe, is, it's approaching zero right now. The, the, the money just literally isn't worth anything. So the, to the extent that there are monetary transactions taking place, almost all of them are taking place in foreign exchange. Well, thank you for this for this cheery conversation <laughs> right. about hyperinflation. Um, and and I, I do find your hyperinflation index really helpful. It's at www.cato.org slash Zimbabwe. Thanks so much, Steve Hankey of the Cato Institution and Johns Hopkins University. Thank you, Adam and Alex. So we've been working on this series about what is money. And a lot of you have written in with questions about where the money went in the housing bubble. And one of these comments that really stuck with me was from Jerry Cosgrove. He proposed this little puzzle that I could not get out of my head. And he basically said, suppose I buy a house during the housing bubble, and then I have to sell it for less. He says, I lost money, but it wasn't really lost because I gave the money to the guy I bought the house from. Anyway, I couldn't stop thinking about that. So... Uh, we got two people in the studio to reenact this and try to find out where the money goes. Could you actually introduce yourselves, each of you? I'm Laura Sullivan. I'm a reporter here at National Public Radio. And I'm Russ Roberts. I'm an economist at George Mason University. Okay. So, Laura Sullivan, you are lucky. You have a house. I brought you a house. It's lovely, too. Yeah, nice a, shade of green. Thank you. It's a small plastic house from uh, a board game that you all know well. I'll take that house. All right, you take that house. Uh, so the other thing we need to know, we need to have to figure out where the money went is money. Ooh, I get that too. I'll take some money. This is real money. Yeah, I have $100 bills here. 
And actually, you don't get any money, yet, Laura. <laughs> oh, I just get the half. <laughs> I'll right. have that if you don't mind. <clears throat> okay, so Russ, you get $200. Feeling, I have $200. Feeling flush. Laura has a house. So this is the beginning of the housing bubble. Uh, Laura, you bought that house for, let's say, 100 bucks. That's a good deal. That's a good deal. But now you turn around to sell it, and it turns out everybody wants your house. Oh, great. I love my house, too. In fact... It's now worth about 200 bucks, and Russ is willing to buy that house from you. All right, Russ. Here you go. Uh, I'm looking forward to living in it. So I should give him my house? You have to give him oh, your Thank you. House. We had such great memories. Yeah, we'll take care of it. Okay. Now, so we're at the height ha- of the housing bubble. You just sold your house, right? Mm-hmm. You bought it for 100 You sold it for 200 That was great for you. But now the housing bubble pops. And I have to move, it turns out. Yeah, Russ has to move. So Russ puts it up for sale. Oh, I'll buy it from you, Russ, but I'm just going to give you 100 for it. I know you bought it for 200 But I was expecting 400 <laughs> This is a very realistic reenactment. Yeah. Let me wait for a little while till the market comes back. And so I wait, and it doesn't come back. So the best I can do is 100 All right, I'll All right, take it. Here's here. your 100 Give me, the, give me Thank my you. plastic house. Notice the Formica lawn work. The landscaping is really spectacular in the house. All right. I got my house. Okay. So the the question we keep getting is, where did the money go? So at the beginning of this, we had $400 bills. And now let's count them up. How many do you have? I got two. I got one? I got one. Whoa. We still have $400 bills. The money didn't go anywhere. It didn't disappear. No money disappeared from this room. Well, I suppose we shouldn't be surprised. But you somehow think it it might. Well- the part where I think people think it disappears is that when I went to put it on the market and sold it to you, I thought I was going to get 400 I might have even gone on a website that looks at the helps you estimate the value of your house and found out that my house was worth $400. But I waited a little long to sell it, and when I went to finally put it on the market, the bubble had popped, and it was now worth 100 I may have even acted as if I had the extra 200 I would have gotten from profiting in selling the house for 400 that I bought for two. And I may have taken out a home equity loan. Uh, I may have bought a new car based on that. And then all of a sudden, that profit, that wealth never materialized. It did sort of disappear. And as a result, I think some people who expected to be much wealthier than they actually turned out to be turned out to be very disappointed. So even though the actual cash money didn't just vanish into the air, there was value that was lost. There was expected value that never get was never realized, but I thought was real that turned out not to be real. But at that time it was real. I mean it was. before it popped it That's was really, it was really there and, and now it's really gone. So this was happening uh, in Florida, in Arizona. This this small little thing we did here was happening all over the country, over and over and over again. And a lot more dramatically in certain parts of the country, as you mentioned, in Florida, California, Nevada, Michigan. So as far as the cash goes, the cash didn't actually disappear. It did move around, though, right? Correct. So let's look at each of us. So, Laura, you originally had a house that you bought for 100 right? Mm Mm-hmm. And then you sold it for how much? I sold it for 200 So you are psyched, right? I'm very psyched, although I probably took my 200 and bought a more expensive house with it. You may have, but if you're really wise, you would have rented. <laughs> okay, but let's let's say she let's say she moved out of that into another house, right? So Laura, who looks like she's sitting pretty right now, actually, you could be in a house which is also losing money, right? Uh, this is actually my real life right now. 
<laughs> we bought a house back in the day. We sold it, doubled our profit, and then we bought a more expensive house. Cue violins. Yeah, this is <laughs> great for radio. Uh, okay, so Laura, um, you it looked like you were happy, but actually you moved into a new house, so you didn't really do well here. Russ, uh, you definitely lost a hundred bucks, or the bank that you borrowed money from for the mortgage uh, maybe out a hundred bucks. Not good there. Me, uh, I'm sort of okay. Like I just had two hundred bucks. I exchanged one hundred for a house. I got a house and a hundred bucks. And you so got- right now I'm okay. But so we've got misery, misery, and okay. Nobody has really done well here. Russ, can you um, can you explain sort of for the for the people who ask this question, um, what is your sort of final answer for where where the money went? Well, no real value was lost in most situations. I mean, you might think about let's think about um, what do you mean? Our house is worth two hundred and then became worth one hundred. But the houses are still there, and that's the real value. And it's misleading to look at the money, although it's what we look at as individuals. But we step back and take a bird's eye view of the economy. What has really happened here that's been destructive has been the chain of promises that people made that aren't going to get kept, which causes some companies to go out of business, other companies to say, gee, I'm going to be extra cautious and not expand or I'm going to contract and lay off a bunch of people. Those are the things that are truly destructive. So I think a lot of people will say, well, why don't we all just go back to believing these houses were worth more? Because then they were worth more and then we wouldn't be in this mess. Isn't that how we got into this problem to start with? We all kind of pretended that that these prices were going to keep going up and up and up, and that encouraged a whole set of behavior that turned out to be dysfunctional, lending money to people who couldn't afford to pay it back. Uh, you know, it's a funny thing. When the bubble pops, everybody says, where'd the money go? They forget the fact that when the prices were going up, nobody asked where did it come from. It really didn't come from anywhere other than a belief it was going to keep going up. And when that belief didn't turn out to be true, the prices came down to their original level. So in that sense, there was no harm done. The problem was a lot of people made bets along the way. And when those bets didn't pay out, the ramifications of all that money getting not paid out like it was promised to be turned out to be very destructive. Okay. All right, guys, can I have my money back? <laughs> well, <laughs> got... that, that right there is the problem. I'm going to put this in my mattress. <laughs> Uh, Thanks to Laura Sullivan, our colleague at NPR, and Russ Roberts of George Mason University for helping us solve that puzzle. Jerry, I hope that answers your question. And that's going to do it for us today on the Planet Money Podcast. I'm Adam Davidson. And I'm David Kestenbaum. Thanks for listening. 